0: Hi, everybody. I'm Johnny Kolosinski, and I'm not a doctor. Jackson Vane is a doctor, but he's probably not your doctor. That means that this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact a medical professional. And when you do, please tell them to subscribe to Hi, Everybody, a Bad Medicine Podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Vane. I'm Johnny Kolasinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as He's Dead Jim, Funeral Practices in the 23rd Century. God. And I went with that joke for a very particular reason. What are we going to be talking about today, Jackson? So we're going to be talking about Star
1: Trek Voyager, and it's specifically Season 1, Episode 4, called Phage.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I do actually have an, another Star Trek podcast called The Disco Trek uh i've been a trek fan since before voyager even started so
1: wasn't your podcast the one where william shatner got really mad about and like blocked you guys on twitter he
0: blocked us on twitter but he was mad at someone else uh so it's uh, someone else with a with the same podcast name um so yeah that was a fun fun little shatner incident that has (laughs) happened
1: But this one has no Shatner in
0: it. Yes, this is a Shatner-free episode. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Star Trek Voyager, uh, this is an episode, like Jackson said, it takes place very early on. The premise of the show is that it's a ship that's lost all the way across the galaxy, half the crew's gone, it's a blended crew with some essentially rebels, and their doctor is dead, so they replace it with a hologram that's only supposed to... To be activated in emergencies. Can I
1: say the hardest working hologram doctor in the galaxy? Oh, by far. He has no nurses. He has no ancillary staff. He has no one to do like mental health or social work kind of situations. He's doing it all on his own. And he got like sassiness built into his programming. Yeah. Like, that is the sassiest doctor I've ever talked to or seen... Or not talked to, but seen on television. And that's seeing, like, House and stuff like that, too. He's pretty damn sassy.
0: Yeah, so accurate.
1: Yeah. And um, if you guys were following us on social media, you probably would have seen... I wrote a lot of notes on this one, because there were so many things about this episode that really got to me. Yeah. Uh, do you want to set up the episode, like, why we're doing this particular The premise of the episode premises?
0: is... That Neelix's lungs got stolen, mm-hmm. and so they have to create replacement lungs until they can find his original lungs. Yeah, but not just stolen; they
1: were transported out of his body. And I kind of find it weird that he was gasping, because how is he gasping if he has no lungs? Mm-hmm. He's just sitting there, like, uh, uh, and like there's nothing to generate that vacuum force. For him to actually start gasping. Right. And it's a really, you would think, I don't know a lot about alien physiology, but I, you
0: know. The xenobiologist couldn't make it this week.
1: Yeah. So, unfortunately, this is a bad medicine podcast for humans and not for, like, alien races. But the lungs and the heart are very intimately connected. And it's really hard to make one organ viable without the other one. Like, they're so intimately connected that you need the blood to pump to the lungs, not only just to get oxygenated, but also to give life for the lungs to function. But in, in turn, the lungs oxygenate, oxygenate the blood that keeps the heart functioning. Mm-hmm. So those two things um, really need to connect. And I think the big concern, too, is when um, he was transported back to the sick bay, they said he was going into a coma.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you go... The coma is really like more like a metabolic issue, but also neurologic issue you know you' you you when you think of a coma, you think of someone who's just lying there almost like vegetative and kind of breathing in very low pace, not really responsive or anything like that. It's really hard to slip into a coma if you have no lungs, you're pretty much gonna slip into dead, yeah, and I think that was the weird kind of statement I had no idea what they were trying to go towards but they could have easily just had him just drop down and everyone's like, what the heck's going on? Scan him and go, oh crap, his lungs You remember are lungs?
0: Gone. They're yeah. They're not there no more.
1: The lungs are gone. So the plumbing was all affected. So there was no way he was going to get the oxygen or whatever gas he needed to survive to help mm-hmm. keep him alive.
0: Now, would there be a similar scenario to what we talked about when we talked about star wars Mm -hmm. where you've got in star wars we talked about when you have your arm amputated that blood's gotta go somewhere yeah so i would
1: assume that his entire chest cavity would fill up with his version of blood Mm -hmm. so he might be spitting up blood i think that would be one thing that you would notice too is that he would be just pouring out fluid from his mouth or his nose or something like that too and you would just see him struggling a lot more and he'd just drop and turn pale i don't know what the he had a lot of makeup on i don't know what his a pale version of him would be but
0: that would be it i so once again going with the running theme of hollywood needs more blood
1: yes i mean it's so sterile there was not enough blood it could have been so much gorier and so much more dramatic with just seeing that but again, this was on TV what in the 90s? Ni- 95 um, I don't think America was ready for that much gore on uh, primetime on television. UPN Oh yeah I forgot it was on UPN too yeah the, there was no way the parts of America that did get UPN I, would I, enjoy both life.
0: cities both Detroit and Chicago Hey, I mean it was in LA oh, okay. I know it wasn't in Ohio I, I got it I, I watched it on the Detroit station. There was a Detroit UPN station that I was able to get in Toledo. That's so far away. <laughs> it, it, no, it's it's actually closer than Columbus. Or it's only like forty five minutes. I am
1: so bad at geography. <laughs> I, I will wholehearted wholeheartedly admit that I'm really bad with geography. Uh,
0: that's why I have somebody else on my bad geography podcast. Yes, yeah,
1: that's that's another time on that one. That will be the one that you got to set up and plug before for the next episode. Um, but the other thing that was kind of interesting too was they were talking about how its like cellular toxicity level started growing really high too, mm-hmm. whereas. Going what sixty percent, seventy percent? It got all the way
0: up to ninety-five yeah. percent. I mean, that's a lot of toxicity.
1: What, what the heck is that? I don't. What is causing the cellular toxicity that they're describing? I mean, we do check something similar to that that tells us if your body's going to like an anaerobic state, which we we check something called a blood gas, and mm-hmm. it tells me if you're acidotic or not. And usually, the longer you've been acidotic, where your body is deprived of oxygen, the less likely you are to survive and we do actually do that on really sick patients that come in we'll check a blood gas that comes back in about a minute or two uh, think of it like a tricorder kind of thing it's like a handheld device we get like a drop or two of blood put it into the a cartridge and then we process it right there and we get it. but
0: it's not instantaneous
1: it's relative that's pretty fast like it's faster than sending it to the lab mm-hmm. waiting 15 20 minutes and this one takes like 2 to like one to two minutes max and you have a lot of the information you need to see how sick this patient is like if we had a patient that had a cardiac arrest um out in the public mm-hmm. and then it took a long time for them to come back or come to the hospital getting cpr for a long time and we noticed that they are significantly acidotic where their ph level instead of being normal around 7.4 is below s- seven and in the sixes we know that their chances of surviving are very very low you can reverse it if you can oxygenate them and help them um kind of reboot their system back from an anaerobic or an oxygen deprived state to an oxygen um, utilizing state you can actually try to reverse it but you don't know what other damage it's done to other organs so if they were talking about cellular toxicity level that could be one thing that at least we can correlate to present day quote unquote medicine um, in this situation so yeah like that was it's definitely something we check. We definitely don't check it in percentages
0: though. Yeah, what's because 100% is good, bad, like there there is I no would assume, stable.
1: Well, I would assume if you had 100% cellular toxicity,
0: you're dead. Right, yeah. But but, all, but but where where would they where would they draw that line of yeah, what 100% means? I mean, it's all toxins, no yeah, cells. All
1: toxins, yeah. And I think the big thing is you can't be 100% poisoned and you're dead, you're probably dead at like 50% poisoned or 60% poisoned. You can't be, you know, uh, if you're 100% septic, Mm -hmm. you're dead. You're also probably going to be dead if you're 75% septic too. Like there are chances of survival, you might not die right away, but you're probably not going to live for like another day or two. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a very interesting way to describe how
0: sick that patient was, but not a great way of doing it. The only, as I'm I'm the layman on the podcast, obviously, the only thing I can think of where they do describe things in that percentage is burns. Yes, we definitely do describe
1: um, uh, the extent of injury through um, percentages for burns. Um, We always talk about, like, we can use the palm of the patient's hand as 1% and Mm -hmm. kind of estimate that way. There's also other formulas that we do, too. I'm blanking right now. I'm, like, post-call, and I'm, like, a fuzzy brain mess right now but definitely using hands can actually tell you how much percent burns you have and um, the higher level it is or more specifically where it is can actually affect how you live
0: but once again 100% doesn't mean dead 100% means, means
1: well if you were
0: 100% burned you're, you're dead
1: you're Anakin Skywalker in the the Revenge of the Sith yeah he's you're you're charcoal
0: but, but you would have been just as dead at 80 correct
1: you're, you're not, you're, you might be alive for a second, but you're not going to be alive for that much longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big thing. And then the, the, the kind of, uh, the hologram doctor, I don't know what his name
0: is. He doesn't, ha- no, he doesn't have a name. He really? Is the doctor.
1: He's the doctor, the hologram doctor? Yeah. His,
0: his name is, his name is the doctor. Well,
1: that's good to know. Uh, <laughs> or the
0: emergency medical holographic program, that's the cool. EMH
1: close to what i do <laughs> yeah except i'm real and not a hologram as far as we know
0: <laughs> let's not go on that
1: part um but uh he starts him on something called a blood gas infuser um just to kind of get him oxygenated and try to save his life and the the crazy part is we do kind of have something like that in real life and we call it ecmo
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and ecmo is, uh, stands for extracorporeal uh, membrane oxygenation and we actually do use that in situations where patients have uh, recent cardiac arrest or an in-hospital cardiac arrest that we can potentially um, essentially take the blood and bypass the heart and the lungs. Mm-hmm. So it the lungs act uh, outside of the body and um, we put large bore needles in and catheters into their big veins or vessels and then Oxygenate their blood outside of their body and then pump it back in and taking out the CO2 at the same time. And um, that has actually been proven to increase more um, survivability in patients like that too. Um, there was actually cases where they do that uh, in the EMS setting. Like if you... We're able to call an ambulance really quickly and it was an advanced care ambulance, like a high level paramedic or a mm-hmm. critical care transport physician, or if there's an EMS physician. So there are such things as doctors that drive around and respond to seriously ill patients out in the community. They can start them on ECMO on the scene and that actually does increase their survivability. Okay. But it's crazy because the way you set it up is you have to anticoagulate them, which means you're giving them heparin so that they don't clot mm-hmm. their blood. So that makes it really concerning because if they have a cut anywhere on their body or anything like that, they'll bleed out. Yeah. It has higher risk for stroke too. And I think in this situation, if you had a patient who is missing their lungs, you got to be really careful where you're putting those uh, cannulas. Because if that's going down um, one of the paths that needs to go to his lungs, you basically are encouraging this patient to bleed out. Mm -hmm. But we have used that before um i actually had a patient uh, one of the first patients that we uh my unit used it on and they said if i messed up and i killed that kid they were gonna go home and kill me (laughs) the kid made it Uh cutest kid ever um he's last i heard he was doing fantastic but i remember we had to uh, give him a haircut while he was just getting off of the ECMO, and he was more mad about the haircut than having big old bandages and catheters pulled out of his chest.
0: That's because you didn't have the barber from Face Off there to give the haircut.
1: Yes, because it would have looked a lot better. But he, it was, the hardest part was actually we had to put a trash bag around his neck so that the hair <laughs> would
0: not get into his tracheostomy tube or into his wounds. Because you didn't have one of the normal barbershop drapes no. because you are in an emergency room. This was actually
1: in the ICU. this was in the ICU. So that was the part that he was the most upset about, was cutting his hair and not (laughs) the massive tubes that were previously in (laughs) his body. So that was the craziest part about that. Um, Yeah. And how long do you think a patient like this can be on ECMO? Because I know that was a big question Neelix asked. Like, how long do I need to lie in this thing and get holographic lungs placed into my body?
0: I would think that it would be relatively... It, it could be a long term, but it's ideally not.
1: Yeah. Like, you want to guess how many days? I, I would guess there's not a limit. There is actually a limit. Okay. Um. So only about 25 to 30 days can you be on ECMO. Okay. The reason why is the longer you have a central dwelling catheter, the higher risk of infection you have. Okay. The longer your blood is anticoagulated, the higher risk you have of a bleed inside of your brain, which will kill you. Mm-hmm. So, and then any kind of nicks or care that you take, like you're turning the patient because you don't want a patient lying on their back the whole time right. because they get bed sores, right? Bed sores equals bleeding ble- equals death. Ble- yeah. So you can't really keep... A, you can keep a patient alive for a while. You just can't keep them on it
0: forever. And not because of the ECMO itself, because of, but because of everything you need to do to support the ECMO.
1: Yeah. So the, the risks of pa- putting a patient on ECMO is really, really severe. This is Mm -hmm. one of those last resort situations. You're doing a Hail Mary pass going, okay, the lungs and the heart need a little bit of a break and need some time to recover. Like, Let's say you had a really bad pneumonia that actually ate out your entire lungs or you were vaping recently and you got popcorn lung. That's actually one of the treatments of it because your lungs need some time to recover. Um, So we need to do that and try to give your body, take off as much metabolic load Take off all the stuff that you would burn calories for and use that to recover instead of using it to keep you alive.
0: But you wouldn't recommend ECMO as, you know, the hot cleanse of the autumn. Oh,
1: God, no. Yeah. To remove the toxins. I mean, the only toxin ECMO will remove is Is carbon dioxide. Yeah. The rest of it, you got so much more stuff to do. Um, And if you're on ECMO, you're not awake. You are pretty much. Completely out. And
0: even if you were, you wouldn't be able to speak.
1: You would. You could still. Well, physiologically, you can technically speak, okay? Because your lungs still are. They're still there. Yeah, they're still moving. Uh Um, But you're gonna have a breathing tube, so it's really hard to speak with the breathing tube because the breathing tube goes through your vocal cords, and your vocal cords are what make sound. So you you'll speak, and your vocal cords will just keep slamming on the tube and you're not going to be able to talk. It's that gagging feeling. You're yeah. not going to be able to really talk really well. I mean, there are some situations where they do awake intubation. This
0: is the first time I've been skeeved out on our show, by the way. What, with a tube? Yeah, with the idea boards? of talking with a, with uh, a, with a, with a feeding tu- or breathing, breathing tube. Yeah.
1: <sighs> if you need a breathing tube, you're in pretty bad shape. Yeah. Um, but we try to knock you out and paralyze you so that you're not aware of what's going on. And the paralyzing, not because we're mean, and mm-hmm. we don't want you fighting the tube. It's because if I don't paralyze you, um, your vocal cords are very, like, still moving. Mm-hmm. I need them to be paralyzed so that they stay open. Otherwise, if you're awake and I touch them, they slam shut and then we have a new problem. So that's the reason why you get paralyzed mm-hmm. and sedated at the same time. Usually you get sedated first and then you get paralyzed because the last thing we want to do is paralyze you.
0: And have you still be awake and, and where?
1: have you know what's going on. That sounds like a nightmare. It's like when you wake up from sleep and you can't move, like sleep paralysis. Yep. That sounds a like... Add surgery. But add surgery or bright lights around you with a lot of strangers staring <laughs> at you and saying stuff and you can't respond
0: Or to in them. the case of Hollywood medicine, one stranger around you because there's only one doctor at any given point in time or in hol- the world.
1: Or hologram. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised how much he could do... By himself, with no one else around him. I get it. He's a hologram. He's smarter than all of us. He's got a computer program and all that stuff. But he can't pick up stuff.
0: Yeah, he can. He could. Yeah, he's. he's, he's oh, that's he's, right. He yeah, slaps someone. Yeah, he's. He's physically. He is physically present there. They use force field technology. That's so crazy. I,
1: I, I don't get it.
0: But yeah. But then, um, I think if you watch the episode,
1: they put Neelix in almost like a iron lung situation. Mm-hmm. Why is he not thrashing? Right? Like
0: you mean immediately?
1: Yeah, I mean if you're if you're lying in a coffin essentially with your neck out, natural instinct is I need to get the hell out of here and you're going to be thrashing and kicking a lot more. Mm-hmm. I get it. He has holographic lungs and there's there's Well, just...
0: they, they talked about how they paralyzed him. How
1: but how did they paralyze him just from the neck
0: down? magic star trek magic
1: star trek but i would think if they paralyzed him he wouldn't be breathing Mm -hmm. or anything like that and maybe they were using the iron lung of yore when kids had polio and were doing that to expand their lungs that's why people get intubated now so you don't have to use an uh, iron lung anymore um i i don't understand that part it just blows my mind uh I would just be so mad about that. Just being stuck in there and then awake paralyzation sounds like a horrible nightmare.
0: You would, you would say that the better move would be to keep him completely sedated during all oh, of this? Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, you have lungs that are not tested, right? Mm-hmm. They're holographic lungs. They just did this on a whim, thinking that might work. Wouldn't you want to remove as many variables as possible to make sure that this patient lives, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you want an extra variable of a potentially aggressive patient or a combative patient?
0: Or, I mean, we, we saw him freak out and start hypoventilating. Yeah. Hypoventilating without lungs.
1: Oh, no. Yeah, had
0: yeah. He had the lungs by that point in time. Man,
1: how do those holograms keep up with his hypoventilation?
0: Or hyperventilation?
1: Yeah. That is insane. But I think going back to him being agitated, if I had a patient that was that agitated, I would be placing him in restraints. Mm-hmm. Um And they really didn't really put them in restraints. It was just that iron coffin lung kind of thing. And we actually do this a lot in the emergency department, is that we do have to place patients in restraints, unfortunately. And it's usually involving some kind of danger to themselves or dangers to others. And it's not a decision that we take very lightly. Mm -hmm. Anytime we put anyone in restraints, we have to do a face-to-face kind of encounter, look at them and go, we need to put you in restraints. I can't just have a nurse that comes up to me and goes, that patient assaulted me. I want you to put him in restraints. Mm-hmm. I can't put in an order like that. I actually have to go and see what's going on and then write a note every hour that that patient is in restraints. And then during that time, we can't keep a patient in um, locked down like that for that long because the more they thrash around they actually break down muscle tissue and the other big concern is we had one kid that was thrashing around so hard he was able to tip the gurney on its side and almost flipped it completely over. So I do like that the doctor in the show kind of going tying this all together did give him a sedative because mm-hmm. there's no point in making someone anxious and scared and not control it with some kind of medication to calm him down. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone for the neck Like they did in... They always go for the neck. They always go for the neck, and I don't know what they're aiming at. It's just, here's a gun, I'm going to put it at the neck and go, psst. And I drew on my neck using, gesturing with my pen. But we never go for the neck. We always go for a big muscle, usually the leg, um, because it's meaty. And it gives it time for it to dilute, or dissolve, or not dissolve, but distribute throughout the entire body. Mm-hmm. So that was a big safety issue that I was surprised he didn't address on that part. But any other things that you can think of? There was one other kind of light thing that about this whole iron lung thing that was kind of funny to me, though. Okay. Um, how he got really bored and judgy about the entire medical bay. Mm-hmm. He's staring at the ceiling saying it's really boring. We actually put stuff on the ceiling in children's hospitals for kids to look at while they're lying on their back.
0: My dentist does the same thing. Yeah. And so I, every time I go into the dentist, I see the same quote from Eleanor Roosevelt <laughs> because I always go, to the sa- go into the same bay. And it helps a lot uh-huh. because it gives them something
1: to focus on and stare at instead of just white. Mm-hmm. White. Holy ceiling, or anything like that. we have kites yeah. or underground scenery. Um, when you get an MRI, I don't know if you've ever had one before. Uh,
0: not since I was eleven or twelve years old.
1: But now they have TVs that kids can watch TVs a little bit while they're getting. I scared. got
0: I uh, well, I think it was I was in high school. I think so. It would have been late, right around the time this episode aired, like ninety five, ninety seven, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to listen to music. Yeah, but that was. About I it. mean,
1: that's really helpful. Kids these days, it's like you need very active stimulation. Some mm-hmm. music doesn't really cut it, so sometimes actually watching a little bit of shows or whatever or having things that they can follow along does help a lot. It yeah, just has to be not magnetized or, you know.
0: Yes, yeah. it's it's got to be a completely non-magnetic yeah. TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Late, later in the episode, we learn that the reason that they're doing this mm-hmm. is because. Do you want? Are you ready to move on to that part? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, is because there's a alien race called the Vidians that are that have this essentially. Is, would it be a degenerative disease? I guess, uh, it, would, it was kind of like. It doesn't really sound like a
1: degenerative disease. It just sounds like a highly aggressive disease. It's
0: a highly aggressive disease that that eats their organs, and their medical technology cannot cure it but has progressed to the point where they can adapt alien organs to use for transplant. Yeah,
1: lung lung transplant and organ transplant seems so easy to do in the future now. Mm -hmm. Like, cross-species? Not a problem. Um, Host versus graft rejection? Easy. They did something called, and I wrote it down, they can alter their, quote, immunogenicity, so there's no rejection, and they can do cross-species.
0: I don't know what that word means. Uh, I, well, immuno obviously comes from immune, yeah. and genicity obviously comes from gin. Thank you.
1: Yes. Obviously, it's gin, because um, you got to drink a lot of gin to do this procedure.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I get what they're trying to go at with... It's, it's a good plot driving point so that he, his two-year-old girlfriend can actually end up giving him a that,
0: that's, that's That's an entirely different, problematic thing. Thing. Yeah, they live to eight.
1: They live to eight. Yeah. So, she's... but he's
0: you know normal.
1: So if she lived. If they live to eight, then she's technically what twenty five, I guess. Yeah. If you estimate normal
0: life. Yeah, except for he lives, you know, human timeline. Still, you're you took the lungs from a two year old. <laughs> There's
1: so many ethical problems with that. <laughs> I want a baby lung. <laughs> baby lungs will make me stronger. And not only that, you left the baby with one lung. One lung. How is she gonna do her job as a medical assistant? The smartest baby in the world or in the <laughs> galaxy? How is she gonna do her job now? Because now her, she her has, new job. Yeah, I mean, eventually she might have increased um, the lung might get stronger and she might be able to oxygenate more efficiently. But man, those first several years are gonna be rough, and she does not have several years. No. <laughs> Okay. No, she she's is. gonna be at a midlife crisis before she actually gets back to a reasonably function, or uh, a, a reasonable long function, yeah. Lung function. Yeah. So, uh, that was a jerk move by Neelix, <laughs> taking his two-year-old. Neelix growing. is
0: so she. Spoilers for Star Trek Voyager. She leaves the show at the end of the third season because she died of old age. Uh, kind of. <laughs> Because she gets crazy psychic powers, oh. Um, oh, God. but she like once she's gone and ba- once they break up earlier in the season because Neelix is kind of a possessive jerk to his two year old girlfriend. He, he, I don't he know becomes how, a much better character. Can I also
1: say I don't know how much more possessive you can be? He possesses one of her lungs. Yeah, <laughs> you can't be more possessive than that. He owns a lung. Yeah. That's, like, super commitment there. That's, I mean, I thought, That's a
0: great six-month anniversary present. I thought he was in the friend zone earlier in the episode. No, that that, that was Tom Paris in the friend zone. Oh, God. Because he was being creepily possessive from within his iron lung. So terrible. So terrible.
1: Um, I, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I, I wrote down so many notes on this episode, and I'm trying to think, can you control his lung function? Yeah, through ventilation. And they could have done that with the iron lung kind of situation, but... Initially, he was so sick. I don't know why they were waiting so long. He really should have been dead instantaneously, not just from lack of oxygen, but shock, but shock. Yeah, ha- hemorrhaging more than anything. So hypovolemic shock would have been the biggest thing. I think he would have died from or hemorrhagic shock. I mean, so yeah, I, I don't think I was this frustrated so With quickly. Craig. No, see, here's the thing. Crank was its own special beast. This is this was only an hour, and I wrote as many notes as the entire movie of Crank. And the, granted, a lot of it was just thinking of how can I apply this to real life. Mm-hmm. And ECMO is probably the closest thing to real life of what we have here, but there was no way they would have survived that long.
0: Was ECMO something that was around in the 90s?
1: You know what? I'm not 100% sure on okay. that. I got to look that up. But I know when I was a resident, it was starting to be used a lot more. Okay. Um, I know a lot of it was used mainly for children initially because what I learned is the older you are the and you're on ECMO, the less likely you are to survive. So my ECMO cases usually were on very young children. But the one time I did put ECMO on a teenager, they didn't make it because they were just that ill. And mm-hmm. I think... As the the technology has progressed, but also the education has progressed, where people are recognizing uh, when to initiate it, they're able to initiate sooner, so it's actually increasing long-term survivability. Kids are usually resilient. I always tell families, you know, usually kids are bouncy. Mm -hmm. They usually do pretty well and can um, take a lot of, uh, I don't want to say punishment, but I guess that would be what I would say. But they're a- they're able to bounce back from more serious illnesses better than an adult can, for a lot of other things too. So they're not just this fragile, delicate thing. Uh-huh. Kids are usually pretty resilient. Um, so I guess a baby girlfriend probably would have done better than Neelix, <laughs>
0: in general. Yeah. Um. So, asking the question, I always ask. This is a this is a tough one because it's the whole episode. It is the whole and episode. And it's it's. It's Star Trek science is hand-wavy science a lot of the time.
1: It is, but there's also like some things that are kind of realistic about it too. Like it's crazy because Star Trek science does crazily drive some real life science too. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this at one of our Comic-Con at our Comic-Con panel was that it does drive what we do. People the tricorder was one of the things that they used to assess heart rate and pulse ox and just basic illness and stuff like that. And now people walk around with Apple Watches that tell them their heart rate. Mm-hmm. And you can have a handheld oxygen um, saturation monitor. And those things are so easily readily available now. So just to kind of immediately dismiss Star Trek as you know, hand-wavy science, yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. But there are some things that were good about it. Like I would say the cellular toxicity level, they'll explain in a very weird way does kind of apply to what we do um, in real life. Mm-hmm. We definitely do make sure that your cells aren't so toxic that you're not going to live afterward. Um, the blood gas infuser, mm-hmm. which is essentially ECMO, we definitely use that uh, in very critical situations. The plumbing might not have been right in this episode. It wouldn't go in your forehead. It would not go in your forehead. Though that, that, that did bring up one really kind of crazy thing. We do use similar electrodes on kids' brains or patients' brains while they're intubated to make sure that there's still some kind of brain activity going mm-hmm. on. Um, it's kind of like a rudimentary EEG, just to make sure it still
0: works. So there's there is something that they use kind of as their equivalent of the defibr- defibrillator, which is a cortical stimulator which is like a defibrillator, but it goes on your brain, or goes on your forehead. Nope. Uh, and nope. So that's kind of... the clo- where-
1: the closest thing to a cortical stimulator is electroshock therapy.
0: Right. That's kind of what they're doing.
1: That's another episode. Yeah. Definitely. But we we don't do that. We just monitor their brains while they're intubated just to make sure they're still alive. Because it's it kind of goes against ethics to keep someone alive if their brain's not alive. Right. right? So that would be the last kind of straw. So if we were doing brain death tests and trying to figure out if we should keep this patient alive or not, that would be the thing I'd be worried
0: about. Okay. Okay. Um and if so obviously the getting by on one lung is feasible
1: because it's feasible, I mean people do that all yeah, the my time. grandpa
0: did for a while. My yeah. grandpa ran into a burning building with one lung to show the fireman where the fire was.
1: Oh, I thought he was running in to stop the fire. Never mind. No, okay. he
0: he was running in too because the fireman couldn't find the fire and he was a better firefighter. How than do
1: them. you not find the fire? It's just It was under a sink. They didn't oh, look. Oh, okay, fine. I <laughs> thought it was like a burning house and they're like the fireman just showed like, where's the fire? It's right there. I don't see the fire. That that would be the saddest fire department ever. I hope it's a volunteer department. I think
0: it was a volunteer department, but yeah, he ran in. They had their full gear. He ran in with bathrobe and slippers. Uh, and one lung at 70-something. Okay, so not at two years old. No, not at two years old. Okay, acceptable. Um,
1: But yeah, you can definitely live on one lung. Your exercise capacity is just significantly diminished. And I think uh, baby girlfriend probably would have not functioned really well as a medical assistant if she wasn't getting oxygen to her brain (laughs) and doing her job really well. There's that. Yeah. So, Yeah. There was, I mean, there's good stuff and bad stuff. I think there was some explanations that helped. It was just, or there were some good explanations of what they were doing. It's just not the typical terms that we would use in current day medicine instead of
0: Star Trek future medicine. Yeah. Something I, we, this is, I think, the oldest thing we've covered so far. Face off is close. Face off is close. These are all written before Wikipedia. Yeah. And so, for but an not, uneducated
1: writer. But to be fair, not older than the old medical consultant. <laughs> that's true. You can always ask a doctor to make sure if it's looking real or not. And I get it, there's creative licensing and trying, or creative freedom, trying to make it seem more interesting. And using bigger words makes it sound really interesting. And um, the lay people will latch better onto it. But I think. You, the excuse of Wikipedia wasn't available isn't the greatest. Plus there. also anyone can edit Wikipedia. That's true. I'll probably make I'll just go mess with someone's Wikipedia page and see what happens that, on that part.
0: If you want to ask this doctor to consult on your show, it's hi everybody podcast at gmail dot com.
1: Yes, or you can find us on social media at Hi Everybody MD. We're on all of them. If you have ideas for future episodes, do not be afraid to post on there. Yeah, we'll definitely take those into consideration. And always looking for more ideas to make fun of and critique and have a good time talking about.
0: Absolutely, we'll yep. probably be talking more about Star Trek because I love Star Trek. Uh, but there, if there's other things that you want to talk about. Just shoot us a note. Let us know.
1: Yep, I do not know much about Star Trek, so I'm all relying on Johnny on this one. So I'm just gonna be the neutral party watching and then just furiously writing notes and probably putting up on so many notes so many notes on this one i'm just gonna keep a running like book of all the the stuff i've written down and see what happens at the end of the first season
0: (laughs) yep all right so with that uh anything final to add i got
1: um, nothing my brain is mush right now (laughs) all right yeah uh,
0: jackson recorded this right after an overnight too so i feel great (laughs) thanks folks for listening we'll be back next tuesday with more hi everybody a bad medicine podcast thank you so much